Hey folks, this is Michael, and welcome to Tatter. Before we get started, I just want to say two things. First, unless anyone on Tatter says that they are speaking on behalf of any particular organization or group, you should assume that each person speaks for themselves and themselves alone. I always want to point that out to avoid misunderstanding. The second thing that I want to say is thank you. Thanks to each of you who offers financial support for Tatter through Patreon, but more generally, whether you do that or not, thanks for listening to this podcast. It means a lot to me. With all that said, let's get started. Here's Tatter. The truth is, President Donald Trump is the most pro-life president in American history. Who's the meek? Blessed are the meek. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? I'm glad they're getting something because they have a hell of a time. The first of the two voices you just heard was that of U.S. Vice President Mike Pence. Obviously, Pence was praising President Donald Trump as, in his words, the most pro-life president in American history. But is that true, and what would it mean? More broadly, what does it mean to be pro-life? That last question was at the heart of my recent conversation with my guest. Father James Martin is a Jesuit priest and also editor-at-large of the Jesuit magazine, America. He's known for his outreach to the LGBT community and for calling for respect for the dignity of its members. He is also known for his charismatic presence on social media and in the mass media, including appearances on the Colbert Report, where he was unofficially dubbed the Colbert Report Chaplain. As a Jesuit, Martin belongs to the Society of Jesus, as the Jesuits are known. And it was Jesus to whom that second speaker whom you heard was reacting. She's a character in Monty Python's Life of Brian. And in that scene, distant onlookers struggle to hear Jesus deliver his sermon on the mount. That sermon's reference to the blessedness of the meek, and also of peacemakers, comes up in my conversation with Father Martin. And it provides a segue into the conversation. From the meek to the peacemakers, but also beyond whose lives and whose dignity is sacred and should be treated as sacred by those who claim to be pro-life. And what does it look like, in practical terms, to be pro-life in this way? I now share a conversation on these topics and more, including what Father Martin gave up for Lent this year, in this episode which is titled, The Seamless Garment. It's been going on for, I think, 30 or 40 years now. Yeah, I have a Jewish friend who tells me what to give up for Lent. The only change is that now his wife and his kid are into the act, too. And so this year, what did you give up? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> he he gives me these. Well, I mean, I, I gave up gossiping on my own, but he gives me things like a spice, a candy, and a food. I think I was supposed to give up um, uh, chives and good and fr- good and fruities and something else i forget they're they're at the beginning they were real things you know that were kind of difficult to give up but because he's kind of gone through 30 years of things to give up now they're they're a little easier to give up <laughs> and i i wasn't able to find documentation of this but a friend of mine uh, who actually uh teaches at a catholic uh university 
a friend of mine who was familiar with you thought that at one point you for 40 days lived on only $20 or maybe she's confusing you with someone else. No. Well, you know, as a Jesuit novice, um, we're, we're given a very limited stipend and we, we got $35 a, a month. I mean, we were living in a Jesuit community, so we didn't have a lot of stuff that we needed, but you know, even now I, I take about poverty and, uh, all my, all the royalties from my books and all the earnings go into the community. So I don't really see any of it. I don't, okay. I don't see any of it. I mean, you know, like I said, I, I, as we say, we have three hots and a cot. Um, you know, we have our, we, we, we have meals and we all live together, but I don't, I don't see any of my earnings from my books, which is good. I mean, it for, sort of, because it frees me as an author. I don't have to worry about what's going to be, you know, like a bestseller or something. Uh, I want to talk about uh, what it means to you to be pro-life. And for for me, um, as someone who is not Catholic, I'm actually an atheist. uh, And for what it's worth, I tend to lean progressive in my politics. Uh, For me, when I hear the term pro-life, I equate it with being opposed to legalized abortion. But if I understand your uh, thinking uh, you define pro-life uh, more broadly than that. But uh, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. Tell me, how do you define uh, what it means to be pro-life? Sure, I, 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 think, you're, I think you're right. It's, it's basically uh, being in support of all human life, right? So affirming the dignity of all people's lives. I think uh, what, what you're responding to, which is a, a common misconception, and it's not surprising given the way the church has often presented this, is that people think that only focuses on the, the child in the womb. But what we call, which is kind of a beautiful idea, the, the seamless garment, right? It, it's all of a piece. Uh, so, for example, uh, you know, the, the person on death row, right? Um, you know, you should be against the death penalty because, you know, that person's life is, is sacred. Uh, the, the LGBTQ person who's tempted to commit suicide, you know, the migrant who's starving at the border, the refugee, you know, who's, who's starving and dying, uh, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa, um, you know, the poor person, or, you know, and let's say more recently, um, you know, the, the black man who's being, um, you know, uh, targeted in his own neighborhood or the, the black woman who's being shot to death, you know, in her house. So it's, 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 it's all human life. I think the problem is that the church has some parts of the church, not all parts have focused so much on abortion, right. Uh, and the right, the, the, the life of the child in the womb that, you know, it's almost as if, you know, respect for life, uh, you know, begins at conception, but then ends at birth. Um, and so, yeah, so, and, you know, my, this position, actually, this, this is the Catholic position. The problem is that other people have, as I've said, have just sort of focused only exclusively on abortion, that it, it confuses people that when you say pro-life, that's what, that's what people think. So I understand that you say that, that, that is the church's position, but I wonder if that's more true, uh, the higher up you go in the church hierarchy. That is, I wonder if among uh, the masses, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, there is uh, less endorsement of that broad-minded conception 
of uh, what it means to be pro-life? That's a great question. I think the I think I would make a distinction in good Jesuit fashion between how people understand the term. And when I think you're right. I think when most people, even Catholics, hear pro-life, they think uh, anti-abortion or they think something about abortion. They might think in general about the death penalty because that's you know that's a life and death issue. Uh, so the term I would say. Um, is is understood that way, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but actually, I think if you if you dig deep about what they believe, uh, they would say that you know I believe in the dignity of the life of the refugee or the black man or the uh, or the LGBTQ person. So so you see, what I'm saying I think yep. what has happened is that the term pro life has been, uh, in a sense, in some quarters misused, really misused. And and I I'm kind of shocked when I write you know as a Catholic priest that I'm in favor of all life. I, I even get critiqued for that because yeah. they're saying you're, you're using the term wrong. I said, look, it's, it's all life. It's about, it's about God. It's about respecting life in each person. And I, I try to link it to, uh, for example, something that's really difficult for a lot of people, which is the whole LGBTQ issue. You know, I try to remind people that in many countries, for example, as you know, I'm sure uh, in something like 72 countries, same-sex relations are illegal. And I think in, it changes from, from year to year. I think in five or six countries, you can be executed for being an LGBTQ person. Uh, and so in those countries, uh, LGBT issues are life issues. Those are life and death issues. And in our own country, LGBTQ issues in terms of teen suicide, those are life issues. So are you not interested? This is sometimes what I ask, you know, my, my fellow Catholics. Are you not interested in these people's lives? And I, so I know that you are well known for uh, advocacy for LGBT rights and uh, for uh, greater mutual respect between the Catholic Church as an organization on the one hand and LGBT uh, uh, community members on the other. Uh, also, anyone who follows your Twitter feed knows that you've been outspoken on other issues, including uh, opposition to uh, the Trump administration's treatment in recent years of immigrants and refugees at our southern border, uh, perhaps in particular uh, their policy that uh, had the foreseeable consequence of separating uh, family members from one another. Do you view that as also a, a part of what it means to be pro-life? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, one of the things that's it's personal for me, uh, I worked in East Africa for two years with refugees uh, in Nairobi, and I saw what the, the refugee life was like, which is, you know, very much like the migrant life in terms of fleeing their, their homeland for a, a safe place to live for their families. And, and these people, uh, you know, especially migrants from Central America right now and from Mexico, um, are fleeing violence, so it's also a life and death issue. And then they're also fleeing poverty in terms of starvation and hunger. So it's absolutely, I, I think it's, I think it's very much the same thing. We're talking about their lives, and unfortunately, what happens is that these these refugees and migrants are cast in the worst possible terms. You know, as we've seen criminals and whatever. Which is shocking to me. This is a whole other conversation, but it, it is shocking for me in a, in a nation of immigrants. I yeah. mean, it's really, uh, it's unbelievable to me. But, you know, we're very good at deluding ourselves. So it, uh, I would gather then that you would not agree 
uh, with anyone who would characterize President Trump as uh, uh, an extremely pro-life president? Uh, I would disagree with that, right? Because I think he's been outspoken in some ways, you know, on the abortion question, but there's a whole raft of other issues. Uh, and, you know, when we look at, you know, simply recently, and I don't like to get too political, simply his uh, recent inability to say something positive about someone like John Lewis. Right. Uh, you know, you know, and if you think about, I mean, I'm sure I don't need to tell you, but if you think about um, the deaths of black people, not only recently, but throughout our history, you could see the civil rights movements as very pro-life because it's not only it's not only defending their lives as in you know life and death, but it's also seeing the dignity of their lives. Right. And so I don't you know and, and on a whole other host of issues I would disagree with the administration, particularly refugees and migrants, but also how they treat the poor and and even their response to the the COVID crisis. Yeah. Right. That that's another life issue. So when you're talking about uh, it's a little more nuanced, but when you're talking about wearing masks, which is protecting people's lives, that's another life issue. So I don't particularly find them very pro-life across the board. So I won't belabor uh, at least partisan political issues since you don't want to, as you said, get too political. But I am curious if uh, there might be one or two examples of political officials, be they elected or perhaps appointed uh, judges or justices who come to mind as paragons of pro-life politics broadly defined. So do you have any pro-life heroes uh, who are political figures? No, I don't. You don't? (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Uh, Part of the problem is that (laughs) in general, you know, in general, in general, the Democrats are not great on the unborn child. They're great on other things, right? The migrant, the refugee. The Republicans are pretty good on the unborn child, but they're not good on everything else. So that, that's the Catholic uh, viewpoint, which is much more pro-life than either party. I mean, I think the only person that, you know, you could say he's political because he's a head of state is Pope Francis, <laughs> because he's constantly... He's constantly inviting us to look at that. Also, and, and in, in an interview he gave in America Magazine, where I work in 20, I guess it's 13, when he was elected, he said something really interesting. He said, uh, look, you know, we've talked to death about abortion, and now it's time to remind people that there are other equally important moral issues. I mean, the church calls it the preeminent issue, but it's not the only issue. And he, he got a lot of critique for that. And I mean, I don't because I don't I really don't think that there is any person in this country who doesn't know the Catholic teaching on uh, on abortion. However, I think in recent years we have seen, you know, to the to the credit of the bishops that they didn't know the church's teaching on refugees and migrants. Yeah. yeah. And how strong the church is in terms of its uh, social teaching uh, on that or or on the economy. Um, we have a whole history of, as you know, Catholic social teaching that is very rich and and really a great tool and resource for people. So perhaps shifting from partisan politics, but still with a focus on policy, I, I, I would argue that, well, it's not my place to tell you what it means to be pro-life, uh, but, <laughs> well, no, but you can uh, have your, you can have your opinions, of course. 
And so, well, I want to uh, put on the table, um, uh, and it seems intuitively plausible to me, that someone could, despite being uh, supportive of women's uh, access to abortion, could, through other policies, be quite pro-life, uh, not only in the ways that you've described, but uh, by ad- by advocating, say, for policies uh, that uh, reduce uh, poverty, uh, policies uh, that reduce the motivation of people to have abortions could actually be quite uh, pro-life, even though they support people's uh, access to abortion. No, I, 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 I see your point. I do think that it is important to say that, um, uh, again, I don't like to be partisan, but as we know, under Democratic presidents, or let's say presidents that support, uh, you know, help to the poor, that abortions go down. Yep. Um, and I think that's a really important point. So I think this idea that, you know, that, that a lot of Catholic leaders say that you, you, you can't vote for this party or that party, but they're not looking at it, I think, as clearly or as, you know, with much nuance as, as you're saying. Absolutely. And I think, I think maybe, maybe it's a good way to say this, that we're both working for a world where women don't need to feel forced to have an abortion. Right. Because a lot of it is, you know, most of it, I, from what I understand, uh, is economics. So absolutely. And I, I think that I think the, the converse argument is to say to the person who says that they are pro-life but doesn't support, uh, you know, aid to single single women and single mothers and, and the poor is not as pro-life as they say that they are. Yeah. See, you know, your, your question about, you know, what politician, I mean, I'm laughing because that's, that's the problem. You know, everybody is unfortunately so wedded to these political categories that they're afraid to, to say anything that's going to upset the kind of, you know, the standards that they have set for themselves. And as I said, I think the Catholic viewpoint kind of transcends both of those things. So it's, it's a shame because many Catholic leaders will say you can't vote for this candidate or that candidate, and they're ignoring just the just the argument that you put out there, which is really important. What about uh, the argument that, and I believe is actually evidence for this, that uh, increasing uh, young people's access to birth control uh, reduces the number of of abortions? If that's true, the argument could be made that uh, provision of birth control is itself a pro-life policy because it reduces the number of abortions. Would that be a bridge too far for you? Uh, given that it would be going against church teaching, that would be a bridge too far for me. But it is it is something to consider, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh I want to talk a little bit about uh, race. Um, So um, uh, my friend who teaches at a a Catholic university made me aware of the document, uh, Open Wide Our Hearts. It's a a pastoral letter Mm -hmm. against racism written Mm -hmm. by the United States Conference of uh, Catholic Bishops. I have not had a chance to read all 30 pages of it, but it, it seems to take a strong stand uh, against uh, not only individual racism, racism in our hearts, as it were, but also uh, structural uh, or institutional right. racism. 
Against that, I've seen uh, in a very recent New York Times article that I know you've seen uh, by uh, Elizabeth uh, Brunig, uh, the headline of which uh, is uh, uh, Racism Makes a Liar of God, How the American Catholic Church is Wrestling with the Black Lives Matter Movement. Uh, Brunig notes uh, that some Catholics have been very critical of the Black Lives Matter movement. And, and actually, Gloria Purvis, uh, a uh, Catholic radio show host uh, who has, who's an African-American woman uh, and has taken uh, strong stands rooted in her faith against racism, she has faced uh, uh, criticism, uh, yeah. including criticism from Catholics. It sounds as if there really is a struggle within the Catholic Church on how to think about race. But would you agree with that characterization? That's a great question. And that really was a great um, article. And, and by the way, she's a fairly conservative commentator. I think mm. that's that's part of the story. She was working for uh, a, a, called EWTN, which is a very conservative Catholic network. I, I would say this. I, I, yeah, that's a very, I think that's a very good question. And I would say that for, I would say that it's mainly in the conservative Catholic world. Hmm. So I don't think in, in, in the overall Catholic world, I don't think there's anyone who disagrees with, uh, you know, John Paul, I think, said it most clearly, racism is a sin. I mean, that's been, that's been said over and over by the popes and by, by the bishops. I don't think there's anyone that would disagree with it. I think that where you're saying this struggle is, as you were saying, with the Black Lives Matter movement, which, by the way, just to be clear, I am in favor of. But what's happened is, as an African American, I'm glad that you can that you think Black Lives Matter. Right. I mean, how? Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But how we could be against even that phrase is stunning to me. Um, what's happened is, you know, like many of these things, it's become politicized, and so there, there's. I think this is what's happened that that because some people in this. I was just reading about this the other day. In this loose movement, we can say, right? I mean, it's a it's a kind of constellation of movements because some people have aligned themselves with abortion, you know, with with pro choice people. Uh, suddenly, it's that that whole uh, uh, phrase and that movement has been uh, linked to to abortion, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's just ridiculous. That is not why people are, you know, marching in the streets after, you know, George Floyd was killed. It has nothing yep. to do with abortion. So they're honestly, I think they're using it as an excuse. They're using it as an excuse and they're using it as an excuse to beat up on, you know, people like Gloria Purvis. But, but I do think that the larger point is the Catholic Church has, I wouldn't say struggled with its teaching, but struggled with the action. What are we called to do? So, for example, uh, you know, the bishops have been great on migrants and refugees. I mean, just terrific, you know, being at the border and, you know, having masses at the border. And they've been less good about marching in these marches. And I have to say, I find it kind of mystifying. I really do find it mystifying. I think at the beginning, it was a desire not to condemn police, you know, and I mean, they're the archbishops and cardinals of big cities who work with police forces. And, you know, I've, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you can't condemn every police person. But this notion that you can't march or it's too political, that doesn't bother them in other situations. So it's, it's, a, it's a struggle. I have a good friend of mine named Olga Segura who is writing a book on the Black Lives Matter movement and the Catholic Church. Hmm. Uh, and, 
I have another friend, uh, Father Brian Nassengel, who's who's an African-American and who talks about the, the, as you were saying, the social sin of racism within the church, too. Can I tell you a story? Do you mind if I tell you please, a story? Please, please. This is one of my favorite stories about the church and racism. And it's told by a fellow you may know named, who would be a great person for your podcast. His name is Ralph McLeod. Hmm. He is an African-American person, uh, and he is the head of, um, I think this is correct, I think he's head of, I may be wrong, I think he's head of Catholic Charities in Washington or the Catholic uh, community, the CCHD, which I, which I can't remember the, 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 uh, the initials. Catholic campaign. So for human what, what I see is he's director of the Catholic campaign for human development. There you go. Catholic campaign for human development. That's <laughs> thank God for the internet. This is a great story. He told this in a semi semi public arena and I'm so I can repeat it. So Ralph is this just look, Ralph's one of like the Catholic lay leaders in the country period. I mean, he's this guy with this tremendous amount of stature. He's also African-American. Uh, so he was, Ralph was giving a talk somewhere away from his home and, uh, was staying in some hotel. I don't know what city it was, probably best that I don't know. And he looked in the, uh, local newspaper for a local Catholic church on Sunday, right? So he goes, so he, you know, I guess he rents a car and he goes to this church and he goes in, he's never been there before. And he opens, he's also a big guy too. So he opens the door and he walks in and it's largely a white church. And this priest comes up to him and says, oh, excuse me, um, you do know that this is a Catholic church, right? <laughs> and Ralph said, yes, I do, Father. Do you know that this is a Catholic church? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, my, that's, that's my story about where we are. You know, I mean, is that priest racist? Probably not, but... Is he kind of clueless? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. That, that that cluelessness is rooted in stereotypes that I confess. Uh, poor choice of words when talking to a priest. No, that's okay. That, 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 that I that I confess. Uh, I left my home state of Arkansas with having grown up there. I remember uh, when I moved to Ohio for graduate school. I met an African American who'd grown up in the Catholic Church, and I remember thinking, "Wait." There are black Catholics. Yes. And there and there are some tremendous, you know, like Sister Thea Bowman. I don't know if you know that name. She was this no. uh, just she, she was a sister, a Catholic sister who worked hard on, uh, you know, what used to be called race relations. Something like Father Brian Massengale. You know, there are black Catholic bishops. Uh, and so but the church still is struggling with that. What I think that 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 priest uh, sort of exemplifies which is not out and out racism. Of course, there, there, there must be some in the church. You know, I don't know any, I don't know too many Catholic races, but that kind of cluelessness and this inability to see, you know, that this black guy is Catholic. Yeah. So, um, and then of course we're, we're, we are like the rest of us churches are struggling with the, the older history of segregated churches, you know, segregated parishes. I think who was it? Is it, was it Martin Luther King that said uh, Sunday at 10 is the most segregated yeah. hour? Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 now now the difference between I, I think one of the things that the Catholic Church has going for it is that it is usually in most parishes, like in the city, it's not it's not uh, like homogenous. Yeah, I mean maybe in the suburbs, like where the, where Ralph was, you know, with, yeah. it's more lily white. But you know, you go to the city and 
This is yeah. one of the things that Dorothy Day, Catholic worker movement founder, loved about the church. It's, it really is everybody. So it sounds as if, if I'm uh, understanding you in total, that you see the Black Lives Matter movement uh, as philosophically consistent with uh, the pro-life movement? Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, I love the fact that it's it's the word lives in there, which I think really underscores it. But as I understand it, I, I don't want to tell you about the Black Lives Matter movement, but as I understand it, it, it means literally that, yeah. that the lives of these people matter. Uh, and so, you know, let me just say this. One of the sure. things that, um, and also their dignity. Yes, yes. So it's not just that they have a right to life, to coin a phrase. But and I'll, ju- I'll just say this. One of the things, I mean, I'm going to speak very personally. Um, the, the two things that have moved me the most in the last few years about that issue um, have been the videos of Eric Garner and George Floyd. Yeah. And I, I will just say this, and I, I'm going to confess. Here's my confession. I can't properly articulate it. Uh, as well as I would like to, but I think seeing someone suffer like that, um, someone being degraded like that, and someone being treated like that publicly was, I mean, on both situations, Eric Garner, I would imagine, is about five years ago now, um, and George Floyd's obviously more recently. I, 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 I was moved to tears. There's something that, that, that so, so not only, not only their lives that were, taken from them, but their dignity. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say, I don't think, and, and you know, it's, I'm, I'd be curious, this is maybe another podcast. I, I, I know that there's a lot of discussion about whether or not it's appropriate to show those videos, because I understand that, that many African-Americans say that it victimizes them all over again. But let me just say, as a white person, and as someone who is not privy to that world of, you know, I mean, I, I, I knew that it happened, but I'd never seen it. It was it was transformative for me. I really I, I I so 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 Black Lives Matter means not simply their right to life, but it's also their right to human dignity. When I think about the the All Lives Matter response to that, I'm, I'm part of me is imagining during Jesus's uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I'm imagining um, um, the meek shall inherit the earth. Someone from the audience shouting out, "All shall inherit the earth." Blessed that, are the peacemakers. Well, blessed is everyone. Blessed is everyone. I think I think that's great. I'm going to use that. Uh, <laughs> the one I like is, um, which is actually kind of takes it away from, I mean, it's a little lighthearted. Maybe it's too lighthearted. But um, someone said to me, it's like going to a birthday party yeah. and having people sing happy birthday. And it's like, what about my birthday? Yeah. Like, well, you know, I, I think about this a lot because I know that that's the response. You know, we're not focusing on your birthday right now. You know, right. and it's it's OK not to focus on everyone, you know, for a moment. But, yeah, you're right. Blessed are. But what about everybody? Isn't everybody blessed Jesus? I don't know. It's a good thing Jesus wasn't around during social media. You know? <laughs> That's it for Tatter. I want to thank Father James Martin for taking the time to talk with me. For more information on Father Martin and the topics we discussed, go to tatter.fireside.fm and find the page for this episode where you will see relevant links. To provide feedback on this or any other episode of Tatter, 
you can go to Twitter and mention Tatter using the handle at Tatter underscore rags. Or you can go to Apple Podcasts and post a rating and or a review. Or you can send a private email at tatter.rags.2017 at gmail.com. Since I mentioned Patreon in passing at the beginning, I want to emphasize that if you are a student at the college where I teach, I cannot accept your financial support, so please do not make a pledge at Patreon. But for all others, come on in, the water's just fine. In any case, and as always, thanks for listening, and be well.